So this week is Thanksgiving week. That's what I was thinking about uh, today and this evening. And, and the first thing that I thought of today was, especially knowing I would be here tonight, was thanking, being thankful for you and your good company all these years, your support, love, your practice, and so thank you. I was just reading a quote from, I think it was Master Meister Eckhart, said if the only prayer you said in your whole life was thank you, that would suffice. Love that. And, uh, and just before I read that one, I was reading a Hafez passage where he said, one regret, dear world, and I'll just say this to you, uh, one regret, dear world, that I am determined not to have when I'm lying on my deathbed is that I did not kiss you enough. <laughs> and uh, sometimes I feel like taking each person and, and either do the, the forehead touch or the, just want to kiss you. So anyway, so that's one of the ways that I feel my gratitude and thanks. And, and Dave, and all the, and so much gratitude for the people who volunteer here every week. You know, this doesn't all come together. You should see this room before you get here. I know a few of you have come here sometimes before it all comes together, but uh, all, every chair is moved and the, the camera's set up and the lights and the tea and the bathroom's open and the heat turned on and the whole, the whole show. And somebody has to show up and do it and people commit and it's really a beautiful thing. And, and just, you know, I've been leading now retreats for now finishing my 31st year here and leading retreats. And I've noticed that the retreats that I've done through the year where there is, where there is a good manager, a good administrator, somebody who sets it up and, you know, the back office and everything that goes on at the retreat, if they're good at it, then I don't have to think about it. And it allows me to just give myself wholeheartedly to the, to the sharing of the teachings and meeting with people, etc. And I feel that that happens here, because there's such great care in, in the way that uh, everyone helps. And Dave was not the, the lead volunteer tonight, but he, he came in and he just went right to, right to work. And of course, many other people help, but uh, just the spirit of generosity. It's a beautiful thing, and he and when he gave a talk about the about the the beautiful tradition, the twenty five hundred year old tradition of of mutual dependency. You know, you you practice your generosity, I practice mine, and between the two of us, if we take care of each other, we it keeps going, it keeps rolling along. So I'm so grateful for that you have participated in that process of giving and receiving. And I'm grateful for, for my own practice of generosity and just putting my life in that position where you know, I just give it away, basically. And I know now that giving it away, you, you receive. And 
being thankful, you receive more, and grateful, you receive more, and that's, it's really how, it, how life works at its best. You, you give and you, there is great joy in both giving and receiving. So thank you for that. And one of the things that he didn't mention tonight is the, um, the program that we have, Donna, for an evening at Mission Dharma. Most of you all know about it. And this program has been unbelievable, where the invitation is that if you feel moved, that you offer the entire weekly rental, which is, you know, it's a big, it's a big lift for, for many, but many have come forward, some monthly, and some, you know, very, very generously. And, and tonight, one of our Sangha members, he didn't, he wasn't so uh, keen on, on having everyone know that he offered it, but he offered it tonight, Donna for an evening of Mission Dharma, even though we didn't have time to make a plaque. And this is a little subject change right now, but, it's, but still there is the same spirit of generosity. But it leads into a, something that I'm also grateful for, and, and I hope that you will, part of coming here and part of your own practice is that you're grateful for this too is that he offered the Donna for an evening of Mission Dharma uh, in honor of his sister, who, whose ashes are being spread today in New Zealand. His sister Lorna, her name is Lorna Heron. Lorna Heron. And she was the, um, the victim of schizophrenia. She had a mind that was, was extremely troubled. And, and this year, on the 3rd of September, I, I gathered from a conversation, she jumped off a bridge and took her life. And so he offered, today was the day her ashes were spread, so he offered Donna for an evening mission done. And just that gesture alone, you know, to to both honor and keep in his heart her, and for us to keep in our heart uh, her and all those who, um, who, because of their challenges with human minds that can be crazy, can be really, can be really disturbed, uh, that we, we don't forget that, and I think not just don't forget all those who are challenged, but don't forget that we, by virtue of being here, and by virtue of having, a, having awareness, we have the capacity to. We have, we have healthy minds. And that's, of course, a relative term. And it doesn't mean that each person here isn't tormented day in and day out one way or another, but you have awareness. And hopefully you've been cultivating that awareness. And it, for me, it's, it is my absolutely greatest, greatest thing I am most grateful for, the greatest protection. Because not only does it, does it protect me from being lost in whatever disturbance my mind has given, but it also, it also opens me to you, it opens me to these amazing senses that I'm also thankful for, just the miracle of being able to see, the miracle of hearing, of smelling, 
None of that would be possible if it was not for this ever-present wakefulness and clarity. That, that most primary gift that we, each of us is given and yet so easily overlooked and easily we fall into into thinking and being lost in our thoughts about what is lacking. The mental states of hindrances are, they're really just another word for lack. That wanting what I don't have and not wanting what I do have, that our mind tends to spin a lot. And when it spins so excessively in that, we, we go off the rails. And the fact that we can wake up and even notice that our mind is doing that is such a blessing. So I am so thankful for awareness, and uh, and I, I think in the face of those who who have not who are not able to to utilize that that gift of awareness, we have to we have to practice. I brought a, a couple quotes along tonight. This was from a fellow named Neil Maxwell. We should certainly count our blessings, but we should also make our blessings count. To me, that's a great, great uh, urgent message to, to take advantage of this precious life that we have, first of all, that uh, we have enough health and relative to the rest of the world, amazing resources and safety. And, and we, have, we have a mind that can, can open to wisdom and love and compassion. And we have this awareness. And these conditions are not always so. There are many humans that are born with, with uh, that are just caught up in, in kind of paranoia and killing, about killing and being killed and harming or being harmed and mind just spins. And if you're free of that torment and you can appreciate your aware presence, your awakened awareness here, you are so, so blessed. So it's, um, so I'm just grateful for this awareness. I'm grateful for the fact that this awareness is trainable, that I am trainable. That if I, you know, I think, I was thinking today of, recently led a retreat, it was called The Highest Happiness. And, and as most of you know, the Buddha was called Sukhiya, or the happy, happy one. And those of you not so familiar with the teachings, you know, you may have thought that he was called the great sufferer or something, but he was called the happy one. And but he very simply said that the highest happiness is peace. The highest happiness is peace. And when he started out his practice, he didn't know where peace could be found. But he knew that was the hidden aim, was peace in everything. He was trying to find relief 
trying to find a reliable refuge, trying to find something that, a place of rest in the middle of this crazy, tormented world with, with so much, so many kinds of suffering and so little offered in the way of what truly relieves it. And so he tried everything, trial and error. And it, he distilled it down to the things that he realized as he went along, and he distilled it down to the capacity that we have to, to train our attention, train our actions, train our thoughts to be non-harming every day. That we can literally incline our mind toward non-harming. And if you incline your mind toward non-harming, it's amazing that you can actually make your, you can shape your life by what you do with your mind, your body, and your thoughts. With our mind, we make the world. It's not an accident. World's the way it is because people are the way they are. And as long as people are continue to be the way they are, the world will just be the way it is. But we can make the world a peaceful place, but that requires there be peaceful people. So the first thing he realized, if you shape your actions in a direction of non-harming, that you're harmonious with your speech, you tell the truth, you don't exploit others with your, with your lust and sensuality, you, you, you do it, you connect deeply for the purpose of love and caring. You, you don't cloud your mind with intoxicants to the point of carelessness and heedlessness where you cause suffering with your, with your obliviousness. You, you respect each life form because they don't want to die. Every being worships cares about being alive. So you shape your life in that way that you practice non-harming. He said, this is the proximate cause of being able to enjoy your life. This is the main cause of being able to enjoy your life. But he saw that that was a beautiful thing and it makes a beautiful life, but it doesn't bring you peace. Completely. It creates a happy life. But what brings, your, what brings you peace what he saw later, what brings more peace, is if you train your mind to stay here. You gather your attention no matter who you are, no matter what your situation is, you all have a capacity to be aware. You all have a capacity to anchor your attention in, the, in real time, what we call the present moment. Every person here can do that. And it turns out that you cannot have your attention in real time be lucidly aware and be depressed at the same moment, be reactive at the same moment, be hateful at the same moment, be even fearful at the same moment. In that moment of lucid awareness, there is openness. There's non-clinging, non-reactivity. There's freedom. 
We all have that capacity. I'm incredibly grateful for that capacity. But he didn't, he didn't stop there. He said, if you keep doing this over and over, you will, I don't know if you, I don't know whether this will actually translate in your mind of something that you, that from the time you wake up in the morning till the time you go to bed, you just keep orienting your, your life to be lucidly aware of what you're doing when you're doing it. It's not rocket science. It's just saying, okay, I know I'm washing the dishes. I know I'm eating my food. I know that I'm walking down the street. I know that I'm sitting on the toilet. I know that I'm talking to somebody. I know that I'm listening to somebody. It, I don't mean that you have that thought, but that you're present for it. And you incline your life to be present for it. And you keep doing it so much that your mind comes to, uh, this, it gets used to being in this single point called now. The single point where you connect with your life right where it touches you, where you connect with everybody. It all happens right in this single point. There's no way of finding separation from life when you're at this single point. Separation from life only happens in our mind when we're spinning. And so, it, so we have this capacity and I'm just so thankful for it to be single-pointed. And the Buddha realized that if you do that more and more, you get happier and happier and happier because it has, the, it has some other side effects that are, that are um, again, uh, grateful for the fact that we're trainable. It pacifies the hindrances that torment us every day. It pacifies the wanting mind because we start to feel so compelled by what's actually happening in real time, that the, the need for something else diminishes. So then there's a natural feeling of gratitude. Oh, I have everything I need. Right now. How many of you feel that moment by moment? Every day. I have everything I need. That's the fruit of practice. That's not an accident. It may be your birthright and your natural state, but it's not the way that we're conditioned and trained. We're trained to be in a constant state of pursuit. And associating our happiness with acquisition, with with gaining something, becoming somebody. So that capacity to, to experience a quiescence, a kind of quieting of that chronic dissatisfaction and need to get somewhere, be somebody, or do something, figure it all out, to have some rest from that, and to have that rest be persistent, that's a, that's a blessing extraordinary. So I would love for everyone that I ever meet to, to put, their, put some of these teachings to practice to the point where, the, where that blessing is just as available, just as alive in you as, as it was for the Buddha. And there's no reason why not. We have the same nature, absolutely the same nature. 
We may have a lot of thoughts that say, I'm not that, I can't do that. But the, we also have the capacity to notice that. That's just Mara wanting to keep you bound up in a whole cycle of endless searching. Mara is that person, that voice in our mind that says, that's the voice of doubt, the voice of, you know, don't stop. You need to do something. Don't sit there. That's selfish. When really, in fact, it's the most unselfish thing that you can do is come to that single point. Because with a, with a sense of presence, attention to the here and now, attention, you've heard this before, attention brings affection. Love flows when I'm present. It doesn't flow when I'm, when I'm lost in where I need to get to or where I've been. It just doesn't flow then. It, sh it goes into a state of freeze. Go into a state of fear, especially if my if my relief has to be some other time. I'm I'm basically saying I can't be in love now till something happens. So our own our own heart mind training to be here is worth worth um, giving ourselves to. And uh, so, the, but the Buddha realized that even that single pointedness isn't the uh, isn't the be all and end all. Said that what we really need to do, and all of us can do this with the same awareness, same intelligence that flows from awareness. We need to use that single pointedness to to see what is true, to see for ourselves that, um, that clinging causes suffering, <coughs> letting go brings freedom. And as one of the things I'm very grateful for is that in that trial and error, the Buddha realized that everything was coming and going, everything was coming and going, and his, his mind said, well, I clinging to things that are in a constant state of flux, that doesn't make any sense. And when he, when he stopped clinging for a moment from paying attention, that simple act of paying attention moment to moment, his, his mind just stopped, it just let go. And he let go into the midst of, of, of everything. And in a flash of insight, he realized that the, the peace that he was searching for, the peace that all of us are searching for, was none other than, than the very consciousness, the very awareness, the very mind essence through which we're perceiving. Home, sweet home, is sitting on your own cushion, the one who knows in you, I am incredibly grateful for that. I try never to forget it. And that's why I say, never be separated from the sacred happiness that's without sorrow, here and now. That's the prayer that's the third prayer in the Tibetan, in the frequently repeated Tibetan prayer. May I have happiness in the cause of happiness. May I be free of suffering in the causes of suffering. May I never be separated from the sacred happiness. 
that is without sorrow. And may I grow in serenity, which means may I sit in the middle of all the loss and gain that I'll inevitably experience, the praise and blame that I will inevitably experience, the pleasure and pain, fame and shame. May I be able to sit in the middle of it. All the joys and all the sorrows. And we have this capacity. I'm grateful for this capacity. Whatever little measure of equanimity has grown in you or in me, we should be thankful for that. Being able to deal with this life, it's crazy. It's not easy. Anyway, I don't know why I went on. It's not exactly Thanksgiving. But I'm really thankful for awareness. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for, for my teachers. I found a beautiful, another beautiful quote from uh, Albert Schweitzer today. And I think this, I think this is, um, it doesn't have to be our teachers. It can be our, our near and dear ones. It can be our friends. It can be somebody, a clerk at the store. It can be anybody that wakes us up. He says at times our own light goes out. And it is rekindled by a spark from another person. Each of us has cause to think with deep gratitude of those who have lighted the flame within us. And, you know, I, I think I could sit here for maybe hours and hours with all the different people that have ignited the flame in me. And I actually include everyone here because your, your light that you come here with, you know, I'm mingling with you, and, you know, this is, a, this is a shared event here. This is not just me offering teachings. You know, I could not do this if it wasn't for the, some kind of energetic exchange that happens. It's a kind of mingling. And, and I don't know about you, but I, I feel uh, so refreshed after we're together. Because partly your, your gift, your generosity of your presence uh, creates that, that's just like with, as it is with the geese, it creates that 72% greater lifting power when the geese fly together. There's just something about that. And just trying to keep the light burning alone. Nobody, nobody, nobody I have met in my life does this awakening process alone. Nobody. Well, I, maybe some people do. <laughs> I don't know anybody, though. I know every single person that has come into, I've come into contact with, their awakening process has depended on, on the support of others. Their the cessation of their Mental suffering has had something to do with some teaching, teacher, interaction, love, hug, look. That we just do not live alone in a vacuum. And so I'm very grateful for that. And, this, and I'm grateful for the, the practicing together how it lights a flame and it keeps it burning. You know, the first, the, the, 
number one question at the end of retreats is how do I keep the fire, how do I keep the practice going? Oh, I get, have all the best laid plans for a daily practice and it just fades right out. And usually the people who ask, who ask the question are those who don't sit with groups, who don't practice with other people. I'm not saying that you all have a perfect daily practice, but, um, but at least that there's something about when you practice together with other people, there's some kind of current that keeps flowing through our life, or at least it can, that um, might not burn as brightly if we didn't come together. So I'm grateful for that, of course. And I often think of also, just the, as I said, just the sense of being present, but just, just the simple fact of being alive. And I talked about the sense doors before, the eyes, the ears, the nose, the body, just the miracle, the mystery, the awesomeness of, of being able to even perceive our life, but just the fact that of our existence is something so self-evidently um, precious about that. I always think of Thoreau, who said, I'm grateful for what I am and what I have. He says, my thanks, my thanksgiving is perpetual. He says, it's surprising how contented one can be with nothing definite, only a sense of existence. Oh, how I laugh at my vague, indefinite riches, for no run on my bank can drain it, for my wealth is not possession, but enjoyment of being. So to me, that's a, it's a teaching and an aspiration to be grateful for what I am and have, and to have it be a, a mirror for those many, many moments of complaint. Gratitude is the antidote for ill will, complaint, insufficiency, lack. Uh, it's an antidote for so much. This is the weak counter blessings. Of course, Thanksgiving is, we always have to remember with Thanksgiving that it's a, It's become a beautiful holiday, but it's different native peoples associate this holiday with the destruction of their lands and their culture. And we don't ever want to forget our, you know, shroud of whiteness and privilege. Everyone's experience is different. And that, yeah, along with our gratitude, just some, some sensitivity about other, how others might perceive this same week. 
I am open, since we have a little time, I'm open to hearing any other comments of, about Thanksgiving or anything else that you may want me to talk about. Close to 9 o'clock now, but please don't hesitate if anyone has anything to say or question. And if I don't hear from you, I'll share a few more quotes. If you could speak really loudly. Oh, I can speak loudly. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> there was a radio piece this weekend on um, a show called To the Best of Our Knowledge. A, a radio piece on a show called The Best of Our Knowledge? To, to the Best of Our Knowledge. To the Best of Our Knowledge. Which is a really great radio show. And um, it was about this guy in New Hampshire who teaches, I think, a Japanese practice of Thankfulness. A guy who teaches a, a practice of, of thank, a Japanese practice of thankfulness. And it was taking being grateful to a new level where you're like thankful for the painted, you know, dots between the lanes. Thankful that allow for the, you to stay yeah, taking the it to another level, painted the painted dots between the lanes. Or you're thankful for like, you know, the bowl that you're eating out of. The bowl that you're eating out of. Yes, the things and, that we don't think about that can make our life so fluid. And I felt it was, you know, a great piece because it made me think about all of those things that it like exponentially grew my gratitude beyond, you know, the people I love and delicious food. Right. It exponentially increased her gratitude beyond just the people that she loved, just to have the to tune into the details of our life. Beautiful. So, to the best of our knowledge. To the best of our knowledge, you could probably listen to it again on NPR. Yeah, and you could just find it online. Great. Thank you. Well, to the best of my knowledge, <laughs> this is the end of our evening. <laughs> so I will, um, I will end with the words of the great sage, Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> Be thankful for what you have. You'll end up having more. <laughs> if you concentrate on what you don't have, you will never, ever have enough. Well, I think I have to move on to one more. <laughs> Gratitude also opens your eyes to the limitless potential of the universe, while dissatisfaction closes our eyes to it. And the last but not least, should have kept it to just this one, from Maya Angelou. This is a wonderful day. I've never seen this one before. Thank you so much for your practice, and may our practice touch everyone's practice, and may all beings come to a place in their hearts where they can be grateful for the small stuff and the large. And may our practice today and every day be dedicated 
to the welfare and benefit of all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.